New year, same God. Amen? Thanks for joining us in-house as well as from your home and in a watch group. It is good to be with you this morning as we enter a new year. And each year, at the beginning of the year, I want to bring a, a New Year's message, a nice challenge for us all as we're all thinking about doing new things and, and starting new habits or embracing new stuff in our lives. I don't know about you, but um, when I clean something up around the house, I just feel a little better. Uh, when we accomplish something even little on our to-do list, it brings us a little bit of joy. Um, you know, you go through seasons and you let stuff pile up on you. And uh, it's fun sometimes in the new year to go, hey, let's go through some of that pile and declutter our lives in a lot of different areas. And, and so, hey, this year, as we walk into the new year, I want to walk into this new year with our shepherd, okay? Now, in this past month, we've been reviewing the shepherd and what the shepherd means to us. He's, he is our shepherd, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 23, excuse me. He's our keeper, he's our guard, Psalm 121, and he is our rescuer. That's so good to know because we are prone to wander as sheep who are often going astray walking into naivety or in something that we probably shouldn't, it's good to know that he is all three of those things. And it's been great hearing your feedback of how much that, that whole sermon series has been an encouragement to you. And so in order to leverage that going into the new year, I mean, Jesus was the centerpiece of the good shepherd metaphor, uh, but, but Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. In fact, we've been in Acts in the fall, the book of Acts, and we see our Lord and Savior had ascended and the disciples' mission began. So how can the shepherd still impact my life today if he's in, if he's in glory? Is he with me? Is he not? Um, I know he's with me. The Lord is my shepherd, my guide. But, but how do we get to the root of this? And, and one of the things I want to do today is talk about something the shepherd offered to give before he left earth. Does everybody remember, can you think of a text where Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna give something to you. Does anything come to mind? Well, I'm gonna give it to you. He's gonna offer his disciples in a text in John 14, the comforter. The comforter, yeah. Like really, that's, that's gonna be the name? That's the name. The comforter. Well, who is the comforter? What is the comforter? Well, in order to find out who the shepherd gave to us while he is ascended into heaven, let's look at the text in John 14, 15 through 21. For, for I want to start today before I even get into the New Year's challenge, and I have one for you. I'm going to give you a challenge. I want to I take the time to dig a little ground around this challenge because if you ever notice with your New Year's resolutions, you really probably often don't do them. You ever notice there's a list and you start and you're pretty good for a week or two, but then, you know, whatever. You get busy, you get doing other stuff, and, and you don't really follow through all the time. Well, is it possible it's because apart from Christ you can't do anything? And, and how could we introduce Christ into your resolution this year where you're actually seeing him work through you instead of you fulfilling a to-do list. Isn't that a refreshing thought? So, so what I wanna do today is I wanna offer a challenge that takes zero talent to do. Doesn't that sound good? Like if you have no talent, I got a great challenge for you today. If you're like, I'm married to Mr. Talent, you're good today. You know, if you are, I'm lucky my wife even still talks to me. She has so much talent. I'm just kind of here as decoration. 
you're in good hands today, okay? Uh, wherever you're at, this takes no talent. This literally takes dependence. Oh, that sounds refreshing. So sit back and let's be comforted today by the comforter. So in order to do that, let's dig in, let's get some foundation. This is not gonna be a self-help message. This is going to be a, a dependence message, all right? So if you came for that wrong channel, we're gonna dig into scripture here and see what God has for us to depend on him for. And it's found John 14. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, hey, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna answer something that some people struggle with. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't know if I'm saved? Have you ever heard this? I just don't know if I'm saved anymore. Have you heard, I'm just afraid that I'm not saved? You know, one of the passages I go to whenever that comes into my office or if ever that comes to me as a question, I say, well, you know, Jesus kind of helps you with that. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's actually a great text. It's right in the comforter text of him helping you with that question. You don't really have to doubt that or wonder about that. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior and he dwells inside you, there will be a change that takes place. Oh, you'll still make mistakes. You'll still have failings. But something will occur that's the number one indicator you're saved. Oh, what's that? I'll let Jesus talk. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, the 10 commandments? Okay, yes, but what did Jesus come to do? He came to fulfill the Ten Commandments. In fact, he put all the Ten Commandments, he put all the commandments of Scripture into two. He said, Love God, love others. That's your commandment. If you love me, you will love God, you'll love other people. That will be part of your life. In fact, we see later, John says, if you don't love people, is the love of God in you? I don't, and, and he's saying it rhetorically almost to say no. So if you love God, you're going to desire to obey his word. Uh, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of people out there where you hear things like, well, I think they're saved. I mean, they went to church with us, like family members, things like, a number one indicator, and we are not to be in the business of judging whether people are saved. In fact, that annoys me to no end when someone says that, for we aren't the judge. But a number one indicator, you should ask yourself, do you have any desire to follow God? Do you have any desire to obey his word? If that doesn't exist, you really ought to question if you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because something happens at salvation that motivates you to follow through with this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But, but Jesus immediately turns the corner and he says, and, and I'll do this, guys. He's talking to his disciples. He said this, and I'm gonna do this. He's telling them, I'm leaving, I'm gonna ascend into heaven, but I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna give you another comforter. Another, I like that. Jesus saying, I was your helper. The word comforter can mean helper. It comes from the word paraclete or to be one called alongside. I mean, do you have a helper in life? It's so great to have someone who helps you. You got a buddy. You know how hard it is to do a job sometimes until your buddy says, hey, I'll come. Oh, it's such a comfort. When you're going through a major decision, have a spouse come into the room and join you and sit down next to you and say, let's make this decision together. It brings such Comfort. Young people, you're going through something new and your friend says, I'll go with you. I mean, girls, you don't go to the bathroom without each other, right? So, so I mean, we get that. We, we understand it brings comfort to have somebody with us. 
They bring comfort. Jesus understood his disciples would need another comforter, and he's gonna be with you forever. Okay, so Jesus, what are we talking about here? He says, okay, I'm gonna tell you who it is. It's the spirit of truth, he continues, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, I'm trying to track with you, Jesus. You're going away. I'm gonna be the disciples here. You're going away. You're gonna ascend into heaven. You're gonna go sit on the right hand of the Father, and you're gonna give us a comforter. Yes, the spirit. Yes, the world won't see him. No, but I'll know him. Yes, for he's going to dwell inside of me. Yes. Jesus jumps in. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'll come. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. I'm gonna ascend and the world's not gonna see me. They will immediately think I'm dead, but I'm not. I'm alive, I'm in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going, and I'm gonna send something to you, and it's gonna be my gift, it's gonna be the spirit of truth, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, and he's gonna reside in you. The world won't see it, but you will. Child of God, anybody been out here saved more than three years? You have seen the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, now, that might sound weird if you've joined somebody in a room right now or you're watching on your computer, but here's something believers do. They, they see the effects of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is what I mean. You don't actually see wind. You see the effects of the wind. You see a tree's branches blowing, and you see the effects of the wind. This is what Christians have when they have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them at the moment of salvation, Scripture says. They see the effects of him in their life. They see him showing up. And the more informed a Christian is, the more they know it's the Holy Spirit guiding, directing, prompting, leading. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna leave, I'm the good shepherd, I'm gonna leave a comforter. He's gonna come to you. But something interesting happens. He says, in that day, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay, if you don't have some background, that's the weirdest verse in the world, okay? Jesus goes, okay, in that day, okay, so there's gonna be a day that comes. You will know that I am in the Father, okay? And you in me, all right, and I in you. This is why I don't read the Bible. I mean, this is why. I don't even know what this is saying. You might think, but just stay with me for a second because you just read, you just read some deep theology you read about the Trinity. You have Jesus saying, I'm going with the Father and I'm gonna send a helper, which is the Holy Spirit. So you have Jesus the Son going to the Father, sending the Spirit in one verse. In that day, there's gonna be a day when the Spirit comes, you know that I have arrived at my place and I will dwell in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. What day? Most believe that's the day of Pentecost that we've been studying in our Acts series. You'll know I'm there and you'll receive this. 
and you'll see the effects of him. Now, 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 the Trinity is a difficult concept. When people say to me, could you explain the Trinity? Young people, sometimes you're gonna hear this in your life. You're gonna hear um, somebody say, it's like an egg. Okay, um, it's the outer shell, the, the white part, and then the yellow yolk. You, three parts make the egg, but it's one egg, but there's three parts, and that's, that's good. That'll preach, but it falls short because in and of itself, one of the parts without the other two parts aren't an egg. And um, see, the part of the Trinity is they're all still God in their parts, okay? Um, then somebody said, I, I, I got one, I got one. The Trinity's like water, okay? There's liquid, mm-hmm. ice, okay, yep, yep, and vapor. Sure, all exist in forms, but it's all water. And, and that helps, I mean, that gets your hands around it a little bit. Um, but I find pictures help me the most. And so I leverage a diagram that really helps me kind of see it a little bit. Just stay with the yellow part for a second, all right? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. Scripture's very clear. The Son is God. Scripture's even clearer. Read Colossians, okay? And the Holy Spirit we see throughout the Gospels is God. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the unfathomable part of the Godhead that, that people study for years struggle through is that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There are three distinct persons that make up God. God is one. There is one God existing in three persons. And so for fun, I put the Father with the crown on, the Son with the, with the, the shepherd stick, and then flames because the Holy Spirit would come in fire. But this is why, this yellow part is why you read in the Old Testament, the Lord is my shepherd because the Father is God. And the Son can say, I am the good shepherd because the Son is God. And so you see the Trinity working in this text and Jesus is laying down this bedrock. I'm leaving, your shepherd's leaving, but I'm gonna be with you by sending the Holy Spirit. And he, by name, is the comforter. He's going to bring comfort to you. And the more you understand how he works, the more you get excited when you see him show up in your life. For example, there's a role that the Holy Spirit specifically carries. He Rees us, okay? I love R.E. Y'all know I love R.E.? Well, the Holy Spirit loves R.E. He regenerates us. Titus 3, 5. He washed our sin away, giving us new birth and new life through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. He is the regenerator. He's the one when you sing, and washed me white as snow. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I did that. He is uh, residing in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Oh, Old Testament, remember? They would go to the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and the spirits there. You know, now the tabernacle's you. You house God. You have this sanctuary inside of you and the Holy Spirit resides in you at the moment of salvation. He's residing with you. You're never alone. He also renews us. Ephesians 4, 23. You are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Well, one of the things we know that the spirit does is the renewal process. This can inform your prayer life. 
Holy Spirit, I know you're the one who washed me white as snow. I know you reside in me. And as the one who resides in me, would you go up into my brain and help renew it? I'm all messed up in my thinking. I've allowed habits into this thing. I've allowed thoughts. I've seen images. Could you get up there and do some work? I mean, you're in there anyway, and you're exercising part of the role of the comforter. But see, there's a ministry to the comforter. You you hear about this sometimes. He's the one who provides security. He's the one who seals you like an envelope. You ever hear the phrase Paul uses all the time? He says, you're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's like you get put in an envelope at salvation, but it's the Holy Spirit who comes along and goes, and seals you. He is the one who provides you security. We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. To say you can lose your salvation once you're saved is to slap the Holy Spirit in the face and say, you're not doing your job. I'm the sealer. And I'm much more confident that the Holy Spirit will do his job than Chris will do his job. He's my security. He's my prayer support. Did you know the Holy Spirit prays for you? Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Spirit intercedes. That means to pray for someone else. For us, with groanings too deep for words, that'll inform your prayer life. Holy Spirit, would you pray for my family? Would you pray for me? You're praying scripture. He provides empowerment. Yeah, he's the one who empowers us. Romans 15, 13, may the God of all our hope fill you with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're lacking energy, if you're lacking uh, 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 from encouragement, if you're desiring to get a fresh start, Holy Spirit's gonna be a massive part of that. That's one of his ministries. And I got one more, the works of the comforter. You know some of the things he's done for you? He's gifted you to serve. He has given you a gift to use in the body of Christ. In fact, we're dependent on you to use the gift the Holy Spirit's given you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says there are different gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them. He produces fruit, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If the Holy Spirit's residing in you, we're going to see those things. I don't walk up to an apple tree, look at all the apples and go, wow, look at that peach tree. It's an apple tree. How do you know? Because of the fruit that the tree produces. A child of God will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are we going to be perfect at those things? No. But the spirit residing us is going to produce that fruit. Have you ever met with somebody in public that you didn't know and thought, I think they might be a Christian. I bet you saw some fruit. Finally, one of my favorites is he reveals scripture. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. This will inform your prayer life. I know we're a Baptist church. We often don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of fear of, we get too crazy on this Holy Spirit thing, but don't let that inform your theology of how awesome the work of the Holy Spirit is. Have you ever opened your Bible and said, Holy Spirit, do your thing. I need your help with this text. I can promise you your pastor does every single week. Help me with this. I'm not gonna hit Google here. I'm gonna hit Holy Spirit here. I need your help and I want your help to be my preeminent choice. 
He is the one who reveals scripture. And I have found personally, and this is my New Year's challenge movement, the Holy Spirit has never been more obvious to me and more evident in my life than over the past year or so, especially in the area of scripture reading. I have found a renewed, visible expression of the Spirit encouraging me in my life in the scriptures. And my goal is to encourage you to do what the Lord had led me to do, what I feel prompted to do by the Holy Spirit, and that was get in the word of God and soak in it, not just read it to deliver a sermon, a Sunday school class, a small group, but soak in the word and let it do its work on me. And when you do that, you'll find you begin to live out what Jesus wants, not only to hear his commands or his words, but to do them. And that's what Jesus says. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Hmm. I wrote my notes after this next verse, laugh. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. When I laugh, when I listen to what he says, act on his commands, follow where he leads, laugh. And, and, and you know what, recently I was hanging out with one of our staff members, we were talking through a few things and we got talking about something that happened a year or so ago and we just started laughing. I mean, laugh, have you ever done that? Have you ever got with somebody and you're just laughing and you literally have to say, I don't think I've laughed like that in a while. You know what, this year hasn't been a ton of laughter here at church, but, but I'll tell you what, that was enjoyable and, and, and I want us to all laugh again in 21. Is, what do you mean? Oh, poor Chris, that's not how you spell laugh. We better fix that. It's an acronym. I like acronyms. I'm ADD. I learn with pictures. I struggle keeping focused. And I can forget, college students, you with me? I can forget what I just read and have to read it again within seconds of reading it. You ever do that? You start reading your textbook, you're like, I have no idea what I just read on that last page. I am that guy, okay? So acronyms help me. And laugh is listen to his words, act on his commands, follow his lead. That's our goal. I want us to get back into scripture. And if you say, well, I, I, I'm reading the scripture, I, I wanna really press into that and encourage you today to do it all the more in 21 and you'll find the shepherd is gonna show up in many not visible ways to the world, but very visible ways to you. That's my prayer today. That's our challenge. I hope I can get you excited to read the Bible. Heavenly Father, use today, use today to be the moment in someone's life, if I can get one listening today or here to get more excited about scripture, Lord, I am gonna be thrilled because I know the enemy can't afford Christians to be reading this. He wants us on Google, Instagram, and all those things are okay. There's nothing wrong with them, but he wants us completely distracted and not in this. For this will change our lives. 
This will heal hard hearts. This can turn a punk into the kindest young man in the world. This can turn a jerk of a girl into the sweetest, godliest woman on earth. This can turn the grumpiest, meanest grandpa into the most thoughtful, gentle man. This book changes lives. It's powerful, it's accurate, and it can teach us and guide us through 21. And so Lord, Lord, I pray that you would use today to inspire someone to rethink their scripture reading in your name, amen. You know, I had a chance to work with the Pocket Testament League two years ago. I had worked with them a couple years earlier. In fact, some of you remember, some of you remember when we did the little Bibles, um, the little, uh, are you packing? Okay, that was the Pocket Testament League. Well, within the Pocket Testament League, there's a Bible or the historical society of the Bible. And um, I got to read some content and go through some of their stuff as I was getting to know it. And I came across an article that I found was interesting. And it was, it was five reasons you should read the Bible, not from like a pastor's perspective. Because like, okay, of course a pastor is going to say, you need to be reading the Bible. Well, okay, okay, pastor. You know, I mean, but, but like, what if you heard from the viewpoint of um, not necessarily someone who's in a pulpit, okay? And so this is five reasons, and, and there's an article written by Dan Botafuco, who is a New York City trial attorney, who set out to say, you know, what is the Bible important and what is it for? And he wrote out five reasons, and I'm not going to take... For granted, you'll go check the article out. So I summarized it and read it all and summarized it for us. Is that good? Sound good? Yeah, amen. All right, I'll do the work. Um, the Bible is the most important book you'll ever read. Here's what he said, okay? And, and don't expect it to be defended from Scripture. He's just gonna go, let's just talk logic for a second, all right? Okay, one, he says this. This book has transformed society. This was the first book put on a printing press, it is the number one bestseller on New York Times every year. They don't even list it anymore because it's not worth it. This book is completely a massive and unbelievable part of our society. To claim to be an educated person without a knowledge of scripture in some way, he, he puts his, it's not something he would tolerate. He said it would be impossible to claim to be an educated person in today's world without at least having some familiarity with the events contained in this book. That, that's how relevant this book is to society. He says a second reason. He says, people are willing to die for this book. Die for it. People have died torturous deaths simply to gain access to this book. You may now even know someone in a country who this book is discouraged or even banned outright, he says. You know what? We all like a good controversy, right? I mean, we like our books to have some controversy. He said, is there more polarizing book than the Bible? People say, ah, the Bible's just a fairy tale. Well, is anybody going to their death and being burned at the stake for Cinderella? Pinocchio? People die for this book. Throughout history, it's burned, it's banned, it's attacked. Just your own curiosity, what's so big about this book that people care about so much? Just the inquiring mind would wanna know. Third, he says, um, it's the most accurate book of antiquity. There's no book that has many transcripts and documents that we have in our possession from the Dead Sea Scrolls to those found in the Cumberland Valley, that we have to authenticate its writings. You know, there's few transcripts for the book Moby Dick, one of the greatest books in history, 
It's not even close. It's not even in the same world as the transcripts we have accurately documenting the pages of scripture. Yet people think some guy, a bunch of old guys got together and wrote it out themselves. This book has been attacked by emperors, leaders, powerful people, far more powerful than any people walk in the face of the earth right now, yet it still exists. This book is the most accurate book of antiquity. This book is the most copied book of antiquity, written over a time period of some 1,500 years. He says it was completed approximately 2,000 years ago, yet in all the centuries that have passed, none of its contents have ever been found inaccurate. Four, he says this book is inspiring. It changes people's lives. Some of you remember the football player, Deion Sanders? Yeah, he's a very popular football player. I think he was a cowboy at one point, so nobody in here is happy with that. But, but, but at the same time, he was a very famous athlete, had the world at his hands, but his testimony is he was driving down the road, taking his $100,000 car and planning to turn the wheel and drive it right into a tree and die. He had women, he had wealth, he had prestige, he had money, he had athleticism, but he didn't have satisfaction. He came to know Jesus Christ as his savior, and now you hear him using Jesus however he can. It changes lives, and you see it over and over. This book changes changes lives. There's got to be something to it. The Bible has liberated many from oppressions by its clear teaching, he says. It raises the dignity of rights of every human being ever born. Contrary to what many say about the Bible, it actually does the opposite. It contains clear teaching on the value and worth of every individual. It's an inspiring book. And he concludes with this. If you ever want to know anything about the most historically documented figure to walk the earth, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is far from a fairy tale. In fact, you can go through countless manuscripts outside of scripture to prove that Jesus Christ walked the earth. He says, this is the book who can connect you relationally to him. You may have heard of the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, also called the Christ. You may even think you know him, but if you have not read the account offered firsthand throughout this book, you will, in effect, know nothing definite about him. He offers five reasons. It's even logical. Let's say, I don't know about this church thing. Maybe you, you joined the couch because your wife asked you to come over or, or maybe a college friend said, hey, sit and let's watch this together. Here's five reasons you might wanna consider reading the Bible, not necessarily from scripture, but it's educational. You're gonna grow from it. It's controversial. What is the deal? You gotta find out what the deal is. Why do people care about this thing so much? You only get one shot on earth. You know that, right? If this Bible has any truth to it, you should investigate it a little bit. It's authentic. It claims accuracy. What's that about? It's inspiring. It has life-changing content. And it's relational. Very interesting to process that and to hear. Yet, yet this world doesn't read the Bible. America doesn't read the Bible. In fact, I, I pulled something up from Lifeway. How much of the Bible have you personally read? It says all of it, all of it more than once, none of it, only a few sentences, several passages or stories, at least half of it, almost all of it. Where do you think you'd fall? It, wh wh where, what category? And you know everybody's being nice to themselves, right? Well, I only look at my phone a couple times a day and then your screen time comes up. It's like, oh my word, I'm married to this thing. Where do you think you'd fall in that? I was thinking, where do I fall in that? 
And you know what? Over the past year, I've needed scripture more than ever as a leader, as a pastor, as a dad, as a friend. For people have come to me and say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I've literally been asked questions that I haven't been thought, thinking of for a while. And I've needed the scriptures through this year. And I wanted to give a personal testimony today of how scripture has impacted my life and, and how God's used it in my life and how this thing has come to life more than ever. You know, there's always been a passage in scripture that's kind of had me pondering and just thinking, how could I develop a series or sermon around that? It's in Hebrews, okay? It's Hebrews 4, 12. It says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing into the soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, I know what dead things look like, right? And I know what alive things look like. Dead things don't move. Dead things don't speak. Dead things don't breathe. Dead things become irrelevant. But alive things still speak. Alive things breathe life. Alive things can speak into any situation in your life because they're alive. And I'm told that the words in this are alive. My shepherd wants to speak to me and the Holy Spirit wants to guide me. And the number one path is right here. If I'm the enemy, I can't afford you reading this. It's alive. It's going to help you. Yet, yet, isn't it amazing when we have anxiety, we click Google? When we have diet problems, we click Google? When we have insecurities, we click Google. When we have questions about life, we click Google. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how distracted have we been? And nothing wrong with Google. I like Google. But how distracted have we been that this isn't the first source we consider? And, and, and it's alive, and it wants to speak into my life. And I thought, what text could I show you where this has really been a testimony for me? And, and I thought, I want to go to a psalm. And there's a favorite psalm I have um, there's a section of a favorite psalm, and it's Psalm 119. Now, some of you go, you got 15 minutes, Pastor Chris, and I know Psalm 119. Yeah, Psalm 119 is not your old Psalm 23, okay? Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Buckle up, put your helmet on, here we go. No, that's not what we're gonna do. I wanna show you a section of it where the psalmist and and. There's many scholars who believe that the psalmist could have been Ezra. Did you know that David may not have written all the psalms? The psalmist could have been Ezra. Some believe this could have been Daniel. Wow. And, and some obviously believe it'll be David. I'm going to try to preach this without giving over who I think it is, but I failed miserably in the first service, and I'm sure I'll fail again. But you're going to hear the psalmist talk not, not, not from the logic perspective, but from biblical perspective of six reasons the Bible's the most important book you'll ever read, okay? So, so here we go. Six reasons. I wanna show him, and I'm gonna apply this to my life, okay? Just a little testimony. He's gonna offer six reasons. He says this. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the night. I think about all the time, okay? So, so how many of us are like him? 
Okay, let me try to help. It would be like this. Oh, how I love the mall. It's my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love fantasy football. I think about it all the time. Oh, how I love my favorite sports team. I think about them all the day. Oh, how I love black and blue burger at Red Robin. I think about it all the day. Oh, how I love my favorite instrument. I think about playing it all the day. Oh, how I love my work. I think about it all the day. David goes, yeah, yeah, you guys can have all that. I did it already. He says, oh, how I love the Bible. That's what he means by law. I just love the Bible. I think about it all the day. I mean, can we get back to it? I appreciate you talking, Chris. Can we get back to it? That's the, I, I love it. I think about it all the time. So I'm dealing with somebody that not many of us can relate to. This is someone who is passionate and sees the Bible very differently than you and I do. This person sees the Bible the way we see our cell phone. You ever leave your house, young adult? You leave your house, you're like, oh, my cell phone. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I can't even drive without that thing. Okay? This is how the psalmist feels about Scripture. He would go running back in for that. Wow. Okay, what you got for us? I got six reasons you should read. All right, okay. One, it's my advisor. It, it offers me strategy. He says, your commandments. Okay, he uses commandments, statutes, precepts, all speaking towards God's words. Your words makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I stay out in front of people strategizing against me because I'm in your word. Oh, my word, give me that. That's my advisor. Oh, can I borrow? No, that's my advisor. I mean... I'm not going through a day without getting ahead of my enemies who are out to get me and strategize against me. Have you ever gone through seasons where you felt you were being wrongly accused or you felt you were going through discouragement or you're going through defeat? I went through a season in my life back in 2019 specifically where um, I just felt really haunted by words like, you don't need this. There's other things you could do. Do you ever go through that? You ever go through those feelings? There's, you know what, there's a million other things you do. You, you don't need to put up with that. You ever go through that and the enemy's just working on you? I was going through a season in my life where quit was just resonating in my head. And it wasn't even something I wanted to do, but I think I was tired and fatigued. And, and I thought, what text could get me through this? And I began to read Nehemiah. And it talked about marching on and persevering and suck it up, buttercup. And it spoke to my heart. Hey, man, life's not always that great. Keep going. And the words of God made me wiser than some of the stuff that I was hearing in my head because I would go to scripture and it counseled me right through it. Chris, don't listen to that. Keep going. Stay on that wall. You're not coming down even if they taunt you and make fun of you. Keep moving. And it just spoke to me. I understand what that feels like. The second thing the psalmist says is, oh, 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 oh that's my mentor. Yeah, you guys can go get your mentors. I got my mentor. What? Yeah, this is my tutor right here. Well, I've always wanted a mentor. Well, you got one. Can you afford one? I mean, I, I thought I had to pay. You can't afford one. I got one right here. He said, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies or meditations. I understand more than the aged for I keep your precepts. Now keep this in mind. If the aged and the teachers are reading the scripture as the psalmist is, then they wouldn't be advanced behind him. 
But he's saying, I know things people don't know about how to handle life, even if they're older than me, because I have a mentor. Oh, could, could I borrow? No, this is my mentor. I mean, this was so precious to him, I gotta get back to my mentor. I wanna hear him speak again. I wanna hear him talk. I'll tell you what. I really felt the Spirit prompting me to do a study in Revelation because I had so many people asking me questions about the end times when I thought, I thought it would really be probably a wise thing to do, but Lord, nobody wants to, I don't wanna do a Revelation series. <laughs> There's a reason not many pastors are doing it. I'm okay. Like all the pastors are like, oh, you're gonna do Revelation? Okay, all right, we're praying for you. But through it all, I felt like the Lord gave me some wisdom in that time period like I had never felt it before. I had people give me like 20 different sources, billions of different opinions. I said, I'm gonna use one source, and I used one source for that entire series. And I just read and prayed and asked God, don't let me say stuff I regret. And I watched him protect me and guide me and get me through that series. In fact, I had a Marine come up to me last week, was able to come to the church over the holidays and say, I shared that with my core group of guys. That's going around. They were looking for a revelation series that didn't preach doom and gloom, but preached hope and security that Jesus is the victor and he wins. And I told him I got one for him. And I was so excited to hear that. And I looked and I said, God, you mentored me through that series. I know you did. The psalmist says, oh, that's my guard. This is my guard. It's my guard, it's my protector. He says, I hold my feet back from every evil way in order to keep your word. I, I, this, is, this is a guard over my life. It gives me discipline. It keeps me out of my naivety. I'll walk into traps. I'll walk into danger. But if I got my guard, it's gonna protect me and offer me discernment. I have never felt the need more for God's protection than when the crisis first hit our country and we went from 1,300 people in here on one Sunday to three the following Sunday with a group of leaders sitting in the audience. And preaching in front of a camera for the first time in my life with no audience, I felt God protecting me through that and providing um, encouragement through that and guarding my steps in ways that the pastor could tell you. It blew our minds how that scripture just lined up with what was going on in our church's life and how it encouraged them. We watched, we saw the spirit at work. But a neat thing was happening in my life. God knew I wasn't prepared for a major digital ministry. I wasn't getting my notes in on time. I wasn't advanced enough to speak in front of a television so the crowd could see it. And God was building me and preparing me for that. So he was teaching me discipline. I hold back my feet as a way of saying I'm being disciplined. And he was teaching me through that. I watched him come to life. The psalmist says, this is my guard. It's my guard. You're going through life without this? Good luck, you're gonna get slammed, kicked, and beat up by the devil. He's gonna laugh in your face if you're going through life without this Christian. Really? Oh, yeah. He loves a believer not in this thing. You're a piece of cake. You need that word. It's your shepherd. It's your guide. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Stay close to the shepherd and hear him. He's your guide. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. You're my private teacher. You're my guide. You're my leader and I don't turn from you. I'll tell you what, if I ever needed a guide, summer had come and I have never gotten so many opinions on how to do my job before in my life. 
And, and everybody had a different thing and everybody had a different article and everybody, all that stuff. And I said, Lord, I gotta just stay focused. I gotta stay focused. I need some kind of true north. I need some kind of point. And the Lord led me to the Beatitudes and I was able to read through the Beatitudes and change my perspective. I can't control their opinion. I can't control that opinion. But what I can do is I can be a peacemaker. What I can do is I can choose humility. What I can do is this, and I started seeing what was important and what wasn't important about ministry and church. And God was teaching me perspective. He taught me himself through the Beatitudes, and I got to see the Spirit work in my life as a leader. Oh, he says, oh, this is my counselor. I go to this for wisdom and counsel. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love to hear you talk. There's nothing like somebody who has a comforting voice in your life. We have enough people bashing us, mocking us, being sarcastic with us. Isn't it so great to come across somebody who's a comforter, a counselor? And we wanted to share the comfort that so many people were giving us with you. And we thought that's what we'll do this Christmas. We'll share a comfort series and make words that are sweet to people to hear. Let them hear about their shepherd and let them be comforted by him. And God used this in such massive ways. We've been getting seven to 10 emails a day. My wife and I live in Wisconsin. Every Sunday morning, we turn on the TV. In fact, if you're watching right now, there you go. We turn on the TV and we watch and we're just so blessed by the ministry of church. We're from California. Hey, Chris, could you answer this email? Some guy emailed you from Europe. It's good to have you, man. To see God comfort people through the comfort he's given us as a church and to be able to bless you with it, we're just praising God for what he did. How sweet are his words. The psalmist says, this is my counselor. I can't go without it. And then finally, it's my trainer. The psalmist says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate false ways. I wanna go the ways of truth. I wanna go in ways I can grow, not in ways that will take me down. I have always had a favorite book, not of all of them, but I have about five to six favorite books. One of them I always wanted to preach was the book of Acts. And one of the reasons I wanted to go to Acts specifically is I felt I had an area that needed growth, and that was faith, Okay. I never want, I want to be a 70-year-old man going, I need to grow in this area. I want to be that guy. I never want to stop growing. I never want to go, well, now that I'm old, I'm spiritual. I want to grow and grow and grow. My dad learned a banjo at 70 just so he could just learn something. Let's keep growing. And I thought, I'm weak in this area. I feel like COVID exposed some faith areas in me. And guys, you ever go to the gym? If you got weak biceps, you focus on the biceps, right? If you got weak legs, you focus on your leg day, right? You focus on things that need. Well, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it grows. And this Pioneer Series is testimonies of faith that should strengthen our muscles. And through his precepts, 